Happy Mother's Day. Guys look awesome, um, and, and every location we, we know, we got moms packing the house and families that just uh, surrounding the mothers. And listen, uh, this is different a different day for everybody here, all right? It's a different day for all of us. If you're a first-time mom, this is really cool, your first Mother's Day. If you're a, a you know, dad and this is your, your wife's first Mother's Day, that's a unique opportunity. And if you got to have your mom here with you, that's really cool. Some of you have uh, had to say goodbye to your mother for one reason or another. You may be a mother that lost a child, and this day is, is difficult for you in some ways. Um, but here, here's what I know. Spending this day in the presence of God was a great choice. I'm glad you decided to do that, to, to be together in worship. Even if you couldn't be physically with us in the building, we're super glad you're here joining us online. Thank you so much for that. And we've been talking about a series that deals with stress and anxiety and depression and fear and worry. And uh, as I thought about Mother's Day, I thought, you know, maybe I should fashion a special sermon just for moms. And then I realized stress and anxiety and worry and fear. Feels like we're there already. Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, moms deal with a lot of stuff. And actually, the title of our series is, say it with me, It's Okay to Not Be Okay. Just by a show of hands, how many moms in the room today, you've ever been doing mom stuff, and you, 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 know, you weren't quite okay, but you just kind of powered through? Come on, let's see those hands. Yeah, lots of moms. Like, I literally got, barely got the question out. One mom's like, <laughs> I saw a mom like, yeah, please, Holy Spirit, take the wheel. Um, I know it's really tough, and, and this series is, is just about the reality that all of us, all of us are going to feel ill-prepared at something. We're going to feel like we don't have what it takes. We're going to feel like our faith is not where it should be. We're going to feel like we're not where we ought to be, and it really is uh, designed to strip the veneer off of this Christian uh, idea that, you know, People who come to church, people who love Jesus, people who have Jesus fishes on their car and Christian stuff on their social media, those are the people who have it all together. Those are the people who, uh, you know, are, are holier and, and closer to God and, you know, they, they have less fear or whatever. That really is nowhere in Scripture. That's nowhere uh, in, our, in our walk with God. It's th- those people are the people who realize that our reliance is on Jesus, that, that, that he is who we need. And when we're not okay, when we're struggling to just hang on, then it's more important that we don't try to be something that we're not, but we just be the children of God. You know what? On your worst day and on your best day, the most important part of you is the same on both of those days. You are a child of God. And don't ever doubt that. Now, we've been looking at what I called a power passage, Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses you know, about chapter four, verses four through eight, that, that five verses, that really tells you everything that, that you need to do to get to the promise of God in stressful seasons. So I want to take you back there. Let me remind you that kind of, I broke it down as an acrostic that says the word calm. Everybody say calm. What a good word for moms. Isn't it wonderful when there's calm every now and then? This morning, I got to church and, and I saw, you know, it just really blesses me uh, how mothers serve. They just have a servant's heart. And, and as I got to uh, early, church this morning, it was already I saw a young mom coming in the building uh, to, to volunteer on our worship team. If you don't know this, the worship team gets here like at 7 in the morning. They're not done till like you know, 12.30, 1 o'clock. And I thought, wow, a mom, I was thanking her for that. And she was like, are you kidding me? I got to get up and leave before my children woke up today. <laughs> Can I do this every day? <laughs> She's so wonderful to bathe without worrying about anybody coming in the room. I mean, uh, you know, calm is like a precious, unusual commodity for mothers. 
But you kind of see it here. When God says rejoice in the Lord, um, when he says rejoice in the Lord always, what he's saying is stop and celebrate God's goodness. When you're stressed out, when you're fearful, when you're struggling, just stop and celebrate God's goodness. When he says let your requests be made known to God, what he was saying is go ahead and ask God for help. That's what I'm going to talk about today. When he says do it with thanksgiving, what he's saying is you're going to give this to God and leave your concerns with him. That's next week. We have a real problem of thinking we've given it over to God and wondering why is the weight still here. Here's why. Because we gave it to him temporarily. We scooped it right back up next week. Be here next week. I'll talk about that. And then finally, think on the right things. We got way too much stinking thinking. We don't have the right kind of thinking. And God tells us to meditate on good things. That's in two weeks. You can't afford to miss that. Turn to someone and say, you have some stinking thinking. So be here in two weeks. Okay, you can't afford to miss that. Today, we're going to talk about this one right here. Now, when you get all of this right, these these four things right, right in the middle of them, verse 7, is the promise of what you get when you do those things and and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding or guards your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Here's what's going to happen. God's peace is going to be beyond what you understand. It's going to be beyond what your heart feels, and it's going to be beyond what your mind focuses on, and it's going to come through Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to hear me. This is your promise. This verse 7, that's yours. That's not for preachers only. It's not for religious people only. It's not for people who have it all together, who are always okay. It's for people who are not okay, all right? This is what I rely on. This is what I trust for mine. So if this verse, Philippians 4 and 7, is not a reality in your life today, then you've come to the right place. This is the right moment. God orchestrated all of this to get you here to stop and listen to what God wants to say for you. This is not just for mothers. This is not just for married people. It's not just for old people. It's, it's also for young people. It's for everybody. This is, the, this is the, uh, the situation God wants you to be in. Living in his peace. This is not an every now and then thing. I'm going to have it on Mother's Day. I'm going to have it on Easter, probably on Christmas because those are the big religious days. No, no. This is every day for you. Everybody say, I receive it. This is mine. All right, let's talk about it a little bit. Stressful situations come to mind. You think about what's happening right now. Russia attacking Ukraine. People are talking about, could this be the beginning of nuclear war, World War III? You know, we were actually closer to World War III in 1962. Uh, closer to nuclear war back then. Now, I, I read about it. I wasn't alive then. As you can tell, I'm in my 20s. Uh, but um, f- joke is funnier with every passing year. <laughs> um, no, th- there were nuclear subs from Russia sent to patrol the coast of Florida, really heightened uh, problems between communism and, and freedom. And uh, so those nuclear subs, one was, uh, was uh, being captained by a, a pretty edgy kind of guy. And, and his crew didn't know they'd be in the sub for so long. They didn't know they'd travel so far. They had gone all the way to uh, the, nearly the coast of Florida. They encountered this huge Hurricane Daisy. They have to go uh, topside, and there were 50-foot waves. Sailors had been in there so long, they were nauseated. They were tired. They were hot. These subs were not meant for the hot Atlantic waters. It was 120 degrees inside the sub. They were under there in the dark for weeks on end. These are stressed out men. You get a bunch of men together, get them hot, hungry, and sick. It's a bad environment. Some of you moms are like, yeah, that's every dinner time. At my, you know. It's a rough environment with all these guys. And so the U.S. Uh, uh, Navy spotted this submarine. 
And they dropped down some depth charges as a warning. You know, well, that, that captain knew there were several uh, U.S. Uh, Navy ships uh, above head, and he determined they were at war. And he, he, he announced to his, to his entire ship that we're going to go to battle and we're going we're gonna to lose. There, there's too many here. We're going to all drown and we're going to die. But what we're going to do for Mother Russia is we're going to inflict as much pain on the United States as we can as we die. And there was one guy in the ship that was like, that doesn't sound like a good idea. And his name was Vasily Arkhipov. And, and he actually talked the captain down. After announcing this to the whole ship and the whole crew, this guy was able to talk the captain down and convince the captain instead to surface and negotiate. And here's what the United States National Security Archive says, quote, Vasily Arkhipov saved the world that day. He was calm. Everybody else was stressed out. One man was calm and he saved the world. Now, if you're a mom or another person dealing with stress, you might be saying, well, what does that say to me? I'm never going to be in a nuclear sub, you know, fighting 50 foot waves, but you might be facing waves of depression and you might be facing like winds of, of divorce or bankruptcy or, or just some fear of sickness or something like that. You're not going to press the nuclear button, but you might press the panic button too quickly. You might, you might say something you shouldn't have said. You, 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 you uh, jump out in anger because w- when anxiety is not checked, it always leads to some kind of destruction. So, so God gives us this advice. We're going to stay right here in Philippians chapter four. We're going to back up to verses five and six. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Say this with me. The Lord is near. Say it, everybody. The Lord is near. And that is why you can be anxious not anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything, okay? Let your gentleness be evident to all. What does it mean, gentleness? That, that, that word doesn't really translate super well from the Greek to the English. It literally means to, to be mature and under control. Mature and under control. That means this is not the first time you've been in a stressful situation. That, that, that soldier who talked the captain down in that nuclear sub had probably been in stressful situations before, and his, his calm was contagious, Have you ever noticed that panic is contagious and stress is contagious? I've noticed that because I stress people out. When I get stressed about stuff, I stress people out. For years and years and years, my precious wife, Leslie, would try to figure out a corner of the house to be in on Easter week. You know, this is the holiest and happiest week of the year unless you live in my house, you know. We're trying to make it perfect and get it all just right, and I was just getting stressed about it. And all I thought I was doing was just trying to make everything better and try to do the very best we could. I didn't know that everybody else was like, oh, the dad is in the room, you know. Because I was stressed out. I'm stressing everybody else out. Panic is contagious. Stress is contagious. But I want to tell you, God wants you to be contagiously calm. He wants you to be the person in the room that has a mature and controlled gentleness about you. Listen, he says, let that controlled gentleness be evident to everyone around you. And when that happens, you're going to realize the Lord is near and you're going to be anxious for nothing. That, that's where you can be. The, the contagiously calm person is the one that lets everyone know God is still in control. I want you to stop right now and hear that for yourself. Hear it for your own circumstances. Hear it for what's been going on in your mind, you're con- confused about or uncertain about. God is still in control. I'm so sure you need to hear that. I'm going to ask your neighbor to tell you. Come on right now. Everybody tell somebody God is in control. 
This is not a high-five your neighbor moment. Turn to another person now. Come on, look somebody in the eye and tell them God is in control. That's your situation. That's a prophetic word over your situation. Some random person who doesn't maybe know what's going on in your life just looked at you in faith, in a faith environment, and said, God is in control. Let me tell you, here's the one thing I learned from my grandfather. He used to always say from Scripture that the Word of God will not return void. What you just said, when you said God is in control, you proclaimed the Word of God. That is a prophetic statement. Whether you believed it or not, it won't return void. That's why I want you to say this kind of thing. I want you to know that somebody... Might have been some guy was looking at you funny, cracking a joke. He said the right words, and he spoke them over your life. Somebody say, I receive it. Man, I love that. My granddad used to say, you could hand a drunk the Bible and let him lean up against a lamppost and just read it, and whoever passed by would be blessed because God's word will not return void. That's the truth. Come on, give God praise for his word. God is in control of your circumstances. You're going to be this person. That word gentleness uh, literally means to be seasoned and mature. You're going to be that person who recognizes God is still there. So let's start right there. Take your notes out of the worship guide. I'd love for you to follow along, write stuff down, make it look like I'm really teaching you something, all right? I'm looking, I'm watching. Write this down. Number one is this. The Lord is near. Now that's what the scripture says. You're going to let your gentleness be known to all because God is near you. God has always been near and he always will be. He's not going to change his mind. He doesn't get just close to perfect people. To Abraham, he said in Genesis 15, don't be afraid, I'll be your shield. To Hagar, who was a, 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 you know, a woman who slept with another woman's wife, right? God says to her, don't be afraid, God has heard your prayers. To Isaac, God said, don't be afraid, I am with you in Genesis 26. When Joshua didn't know where he was going to go next, God said, don't be afraid, I'll go with you wherever you go. In Joshua 1 and 9. This is the character of God. And he doesn't wait for you to be perfect to go with you. God was with David right after David committed adultery. God was with Jacob in spite of his conniving and lying, really, for most of his life. God was with Elijah in spite of his unbelief and his deep bouts with depression. And God made an ultimate statement of his commitment to us when he named himself Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why, why did he say that? Why did he, why did he want us to so much know that he was near? Why did he call himself God with us? I promise you it wasn't so we would have cool Christmas songs to sing at, at candlelight Christmas about Emmanuel. He named himself Emmanuel, God with us, for the very season you're, some of you are going through right now. He wanted you to know that in the worst seasons of your life, I thought about some of the tough times I've been in. When I was rejected and I lost my confidence, God wanted me to know that he still believed in me and that he was with me. When my sin embarrassed me, he wanted me to know that he still loved me and he was still with me. When my wife was sick, God wanted me to know that he was the ultimate healer and he was still with me. That's why he named himself Emmanuel. When we couldn't afford to pay the rent, and that's a reality, God wanted us to know that he's our provider and he is still with us. When my baby was dying in her mother's womb, God wanted me to know that he's the ultimate healer. There's nothing too big and too hard for him, and he was with me. That's why he called himself Emmanuel. For seasons like that, seasons like some of you are going through right now, so you'd never doubt it. Even when it looks like if God were here, why is this happening? 
Come on, I've been there. I've wondered that question. If God were here, why is this going on? I'll tell you the, the struggle with that. When I thought my baby was, was, was dying in her mother's room, you know why I thought that? Because well, I'd watched, I, I'd seen three babies die in her mother's womb. And this looked like the fourth. You know, it doesn't always come in little testimony, preacher-sized and preacher-style testimonies, you know? It doesn't always come like that. Sometimes those beautiful, uh, pretty one-liners that you hear in a preacher's sermon come after 18 disappointments. But you've got to believe that God is there. He doesn't always show up how you want him to, but he's there. Somebody wanted to give him praise. Stop and give him praise right now. If he's been there for you, We'll stop everything to praise him. Thank you, God. He's been there. You see, what happens to us sometimes is we, we get anxious. And here's, here's what the scripture says. Because the Lord is near, you shouldn't be anxious about anything. Another translation says, the Lord is at hand, have no anxiety. The Cyrus translation says, the Lord is here, have no worries. See, peace begins with the absolute faith that God is here. Not because I've seen him work yet. Not because it feels like he's here. Not because anything has changed in my circumstances. I'm just going to believe. And, and the opposite of peace, stress and fear happens when we forget about God, which is exactly what the disciples did. When Jesus asked them to feed, you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? It's actually more like 15,000. It's 5,000 families. When he fed 15,000 people, he told the disciples, he gave them an impossible situation. Everybody say Impossible. When, when he gave them something impossible, he said, you feed them. They forgot who told them to do it. Crazy as it sounds, they forgot about Jesus. You go back and read that story. Uh, it's in John's uh, gospel, John chapter 6. They think about everything but Jesus. They talk about how late it is in the day. They think about the time. They talk about how many people are there. They think about the numbers. They talk about how far out in the countryside they are. They think about their location. They, they talk about uh, how much money it would take to feed these people. They talked about everything except Jesus. They forgot who he was. They forgot what he had done. And the scripture says that before Jesus even told them to do the impossible, it says he himself knew what he would do. Stop for just a minute and realize God, when he asks you to do the impossible, when he puts you in impossible situations or he allows you to be in an impossible situation, before you even ask, he already knows what he's going to do. Bible says before a word is on your, on your tongue, God knows it. He already knows what he's going to do. Stop the fear and the worry long enough to realize, hey, God's already seen it. He already knows it. He's waiting on the time to be perfect. He's waiting on your prayers to be made, and he knows what he's going to do already. Some of you are facing an impossible situation, and you've looked at every scenario. You've looked at everything you've done. Is it my fault? Have I done something wrong? Do I pray wrong? I'm so glad I'm going to get a formula from the pastor today. You've looked at every everything but Jesus. Stop today and just look at him. Stop today and just experience his presence. You, you're starting with what about this and what about that? Here's my second bit of advice for you today. Don't start with what you have. Start with Jesus. Start with who Jesus is. Before Jesus, I just rolled backwards in that story that's in John chapter 6 feeding 15,000 people. You roll backwards from that. Before the disciples saw him do all that, Jesus had already healed sick people. Bible recorded he had delivered a demon-possessed man, raised a dead girl back to life, and calmed a violent storm. They'd already seen Jesus do all those things, and all they could think about was what they could do to fix their own problem. 
If you've been following Jesus very long in your life, you've already seen God do something in your life. Can I hear an amen if that's true? Why then are we looking at what we can do? Why then are we thinking about what God hasn't done? Start with Jesus. Stop looking at what you have and realize he is near. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll go with you all the way to the ends of the earth. He said, I will be closer to you than a brother would. So let's lean into this verse one more time, can we? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, listen to this, let your request be made known to God. I want to stop today around that line because a lot of us, we haven't asked God to fix it. For whatever reason, we think we shouldn't pray. We're too busy fixing it ourselves to stop and ask him. Or maybe we think we shouldn't ask. I can't tell you how many people have said, well, you know, I haven't really, I haven't really prayed about that, Pastor, because I've always heard you shouldn't, you shouldn't ask God for things for yourself. What, what do you think? He's a mall Santa or something and there's rules to this thing? I mean, he says a billion times, ask and you shall seek and you will knock and the door will be. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who knocks uh, seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be open. It goes on and says, you have not. I bet you can finish this too because you ask not. We know all of this stuff and yet somehow we think, you know, it's wrong to ask. Here's the only thing I can tell you. God loves the sound of your voice. How many many times would he say it over and over again? Ask, ask, seek, knock, find, ask, pray, cry out to me. He must love the sound of your voice. I want you to let that settle into your spirit right now. God wants to hear me talk. Say it out loud. God wants to hear me. God wants to hear you pray. God wants to hear you worship. God loves how you sound in worship. I'll never forget when I learned that God doesn't listen with his ears. He listens with his nose to your worship. Did you know that? The Bible says that worship is a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God. Some of you can now sing to Jesus because it doesn't matter how bad you sound. (laughs) Just bathe. He smells your worship. (laughs) Isn't that a beautiful... God's word is poetry. It's power. It's everything. It is so deep and rich. What an image that when you were genuinely worshiping him... Uh, 15 minutes ago, here's how God received it. He wasn't going, man, that worship team sounds good. That's not how he received it. He received it like this. Wow. He just breathes it in. He loves the sound of your worship. He loves the sound of your voice. And that's why the persistent prayer is the pathway to peace. Persistent, day in and day out. Nothing changed today. I'm going to pray about it again tomorrow. Nothing changed this morning. I'm going to pray about it over lunch. I haven't seen anything happen this afternoon. I'm going to give it to God one more time before I go to bed tonight. Persistent prayer is the pathway to peace. And if you look at what this verse was telling us to do, it was actually telling us specific ways to pray. Okay? So I broke this verse down a little bit, and I noticed that he tells us to give it to him in prayer, supplication, and prayer request. Everybody say it with me. Prayer, supplication, request. So it really is a progression. Let me show you this progression. It looks like this. Start with prayer. This is just entering into his courts and praising him for whatever you can think about. Praise him for the beauty of his creation. Friday afternoon, I was on my back uh, patio sitting in the swing and the wind was blowing so strong, it was moving the swing. 
and the, the trees were going. And, and I just stopped and I was just thanking God for, I mean, God is an artist. I, right in front of me, I saw a tree, a short, a kind of a short tree and, and a little pond behind that. And behind that, this beautiful blue sky. And over here, dotted in the blue was perfectly white clouds. And I was like, God, God's an artist and he did all that. You ever stop and just thank God for making heaven and earth. Thank God for making you and putting you there. Thank God for blessing your health and taking you to this point for things he's done in your past. Just just stop and pray to God about the majesty of who he is. Remind yourself of how big God is. That's where it begins. See, some of us, our prayers are what I call 911 prayers right? I mean, we have hustled and we have run. We've done everything we can. We're at a, a, at a brick wall and, and, and we're at a dead end. And we're like, oh, Jesus, could you tell me how to fix this situation and, and forgive me for all my sins and kill my enemies? Amen. That, that's not the kind of prayer that changes things in your life. It's just not, okay? It, 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 that, he says, start with prayer. If you research the word prayer, the Hebrew or the Greek for the word prayer that Paul used, it means to just enter into his courts, recognize the, the vastness of who he is. And then we move on to supplication. Supplication at its root means to humble yourself before God. It means to recognize how big God is and what an awesome reality is that, that he knows you by name. The Bible says that he sees every sparrow that falls from the sky and he knows you by name. He knows you personally, intimately. God made all of this. Every morning I wake up and I hear birds chirping because we sleep with the window open in our bathroom and I can hear those birds chirping. It's like God made all that because I like the sound of birds, you know? And, and I mean, probably you too, not just me. But he, 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 and, and he knows me. I should just stop and humble myself. You know, a few years ago, my, my family... We went to Africa on a mission trip and we got an extended layover in London. And, and so we went by Buckingham Palace. We'd always heard about that. And they told us, the, the locals told us that there's a certain flag that is flown. They, they take the uh, regular flag down and they fly a different flag when the Queen of England is there. And that flag was flying there. I had been by there before and the gates were wide open. Today the gates were locked shut and they had those little dudes in the red, you know with the big hats on and they look like little toys who could murder you is what they look like I've been close to those jokers I'm not messing with them I mean it's like you're not getting in here you know and I was thinking you know what if I just walk up to like knock on that gate hey can you tell the queen I'm from Alabama and I wanted to see her I came all the way over here I know she's busy but I won't be back could I see the queen how many know she doesn't care that I'm from Alabama I'm not might be even a greater reason I'm not in there She's not letting me in. I cannot get an audience with the queen. And, and you can't either. But did you know when you pray, you humble yourself before God, you have an audience with the king of kings. The Lord of lords. The queen's king listens to you when you pray. you hear that? The queen's king listens to you. The president's king listens to you. Every atheist, whether they like it or not, there's, they have a king and his name is Jesus. The king of all kings and he hears you when you pray. When you humble yourself before him, you lower yourself. He's listening to you. And then he says, make sure you don't leave that holy of holies. <laughs> that place where the Jews never thought they could enter. 
until Jesus died on the cross and that holy veil was torn from the top to the bottom. And Paul now says, you should boldly go before the holy of holies and make your request known. It says the exact same thing here. God says, don't you leave this place until you tell me what you need. Specific requests are powerful requests. God wants you to be specific. In fact, I I know he does. I know he loves to hear the sound of your voice because he tells you to pray and ask so many times. And I know that he likes to be specific because remember that time when the blind man appeared before Jesus and Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do? It's exact quote, what do you want me to do? It seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? I'm blind. But Jesus asked him, I want to hear it from your voice. What do you want me to do? And you know what the blind man didn't say? Well, just touch me, Jesus. Just help me out, Lord. Take me down life's highway while I carry the burden that I've got to bear. I can hear a guitar and a Southern Gospel song coming out as I say it. He didn't say any of that junk. He said, Lord, that I might see. And immediately Jesus touched him. Let me tell you, some of you are praying these random prayers like, like God's unable to do it. Well, you God, you know what I need before I even ask you. You just give me what I need, Lord. No. What do you want is what he said. You need to tell him. God, I, I, I want to be healed. God, I want this marriage to make it. God, I want you to, to, to mend this relationship. God, I want you to give me a financial breakthrough. God, I want wisdom to know what I need to say and what I need to do. God, I want the boldness to step in and do things that I I don't feel like I can do right now. A specific prayer is a powerful prayer. That's why the Bible says, let your request be made known to God. If you you tell me we're going to meet someday, let's have lunch sometime. You just kind of got this random idea that someday we're going to get together. We're not going to get together, are we? But if you say, on this date at this time, You're telling me you mean business. I want you to start taking your prayers to God and show him you need business. Be specific. Talk to him about what's going on in your life. Get specific and expect results. Abraham's servant was given a specific job to find a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. And he he prayed this specific prayer. Let me read it to you in Genesis 24. He said, oh Lord, please give me success and show unfailing love. See, I'm standing here beside this spring or this well And the young women are coming out to draw water. That was the task of the women in those days was to draw water for themselves and the livestock. He said, this is my request. I'm reading in Genesis 24. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your water jug. And if she says, yes, have a drink and I'll water your camels too, then I will know that you have selected this as Isaac's wife. That's a pretty specific prayer request, isn't it? Now, let me give you a little background on this. This is not a well like you crank up a bucket. This is a a, a spring. She had to walk down a bunch of steps and get the water. Now, camels, because he'd been in a long desert journey, hold about 30 gallons of water. He had 10. That's 300 gallons. If she had a five-gallon bucket, that's 60 trips up and down those steps. That's all he wanted was a woman who'd give him something to drink and make 60 trips with a five-gallon. Have you met this woman? I've been along a long, I've been alive a long time, never met that woman yet. He got really, really specific. Okay? And the very next verse, verse 15, says, before, everybody shout before. Before he had finished speaking, Rebecca appeared. 
reminded me of when Jesus fed the 15,000. Scripture says before he told them to do the impossible, he already knew what he was going to do. Let me tell you, God already knows your solution. God already knows how to fix your problem. God already knows the end from the beginning. He's waiting on you to put it in his hands. That's the God you're praying to. The one who before the word comes off of your mouth, he knows it. So here's what he wants you to do. Everybody shout, cast. Cast is to release. It means to let go. And that's why he says, cast all of your anxiety on him. Give it all to him. I want you to pray. I want you to get ready to pray a specific prayer to God. You know, there's a guy named Michael Mathis. Let me tell you real quickly his story. He, he came to Daystar Church in Madison one of the very first Sundays that we started. And he heard the pastor say, the campus pastor say, we're looking for land. The next day, he's on his way to work. He passed a beautiful 32-acre tract of vacant land in Madison. Very rare to find that, okay? He said he heard God say, this is the land for Daystar Church. The land on each side was priced at $100,000 an acre. Quick math says that's worth $3.2 million. He came to me after, he didn't even say anything to me. But for a long time, he just stopped every day. Y'all, for years, he stopped every day parked on that property he and many times his wife with him just prayed over it for years finally comes to me and says God's told me where our church is going to be I was like that's good to know because I've been wondering it's right here on this acreage I was like wow that's beautiful acreage and he said we're going to get it all and I was like well you know that's pretty expensive (laughs) he's like no God told me we're going to get it all well instead of paying a hundred thousand dollars an acre through a series of circumstances. God moved on that owner. It was an amazing thing. We bought it for 23 an acre, 23 cents on the dollar. And we started pouring concrete on that property this week. Uh, I think we got a picture. Come on, y'all. Now, your prayer request might not have anything to do with concrete and land. Actually, it might, though. But I want you to answer the question that God gave the blind man. What do you want me to do for you? 